Good morning. This is John Richardson speaking with you from Toronto, Canada. Today is Thursday, September the 29th, 2002. And the month of September is going to go down in recorded history as yet another important sighting of Mr. F-Bar. And to discuss that with me is my return guest and the great F-Barologist of our age, Virginia Latora Jeeker, U.S. tax lawyer based in Dubai. How are you today, Virginia? Hey, John. Always good to be here with you. I am doing fine and hope the same that everything's going well in Canada. Beautiful day, beautiful fall day. From a weather point of view, things could not be better. But as long as Mr. F-Bar is lurking around the world, that is sure to wreak havoc on the lives of many. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. And today we're going to talk about a poor woman that's been hounded by FBAR. For the past four years, this case has been dragging on. It's amazing stuff, but just sort of to zero in on the issue, at least the Reader's Digest version of the main issue here. You know, we had a discussion about Mr. Manafort a while ago, and it seems to me that this case is yet another part of a trend where, you know, you really don't have to have signature authority over account or know a great deal about an account uh, to be deemed to have a financial interest in it, are you? Yes, I think, I think that's the point that we really want to focus on today because um, people reading the instructions to the Form 114, the FBAR form, and people going to the regulations will be confused because... Um, it doesn't jump out at you what the court has said in this Cathalos case that we will be discussing today. And because it doesn't jump out at you from reading the form instructions or the, the regulations, I think we need to hammer it home to people so they understand how serious this point is. Yes, and I think without overdoing it, the, the really uh, severe implications for, uh, you know, people who sort of share lives with other people who may not have their names on those accounts, right? Yes, that's right. This is an important point for people that are not having legal title, not having their name on the account, but being deemed under the facts. And we don't know the facts can be very murky. That's the problem. Being deemed to have um, beneficial ownership of the account and therefore having to report it on the FBAR because of what the Cothalus Court has said, and perhaps the way we can interpret a certain portion of the FBAR instructions. Right. Okay, now, before we get into the, the details of, of the judgment, what I think is important and, and very, very interesting is that Ms. Cathalos is an American citizen living abroad. Would you? Is there anything about that description that's incorrect? No, that's correct. She, and she's been living abroad for many, many decades. She's, um, she's a housewife. Her father had a very lucrative business in New York, a contracting type business. And the family moved to Greece, which was their, I guess, you know, country of origin, at least for the father. And the father did not have a very good understanding of the English language, etc. So she was always helping him 
with regard to um, his financial, I guess, issues when it came to reading, you know, bank account forms and so forth. But she was she was not any kind of like financial guru. She was a she was a housewife. Well, in that sense, there's a similarity with that uh, Miss Curran case from a number of years ago, a Florida housewife who was hit with these massive penalties. Yeah. Uh, but again, that's just an overlap of circumstance. Okay. Can you provide uh, an abbreviated history of what happened here and how we got to where we are today? Um, yes, it's a very convoluted case, but I think um, the basic point we want to raise are, the, are as follows. She had been living in Greece um, and married to a non-U.S. person for many years. I think she moved there in the 1990s. And the family, in the typical way with traditional type families, it seems that they seem to maybe pool their assets together and formed a, opened up certain Swiss bank accounts. Um, the bankers at UBS where the accounts were, were held somehow pushed them, convinced them, whatever is the word you would like to use, to open up a Liechtenstein family foundation and a Hong Kong company. And this was done in part to facilitate making certain investments easier for them. Um, from what I gathered, the, the taxpayer, Ms. Kapalos, was, was listed somehow as a beneficial owner at least of the account that was being held in the Hong Kong company. So um, when these accounts were formed, we're not, it's not clear at all who formed these accounts, where the money came from. I have a feeling the father who had the lucrative business in New York was actually the one behind the entire financial part of this and um, at least I get the feeling he was the one who was directing kind of what should happen along with the Swiss bankers. According to Ms. Kapalos, she would just sign forms for the bank because she and her father trusted UBS and I know from my own experience with clients this happens all the time you know the bankers will say, hey, look, this is a good way to do it. Um, set up this company, set up that foundation. And remember, all this was happening in the 1990s. It's not like it was happening yesterday. So there was not this awareness at all about, you know, foreign accounts and information reporting and fact that it didn't exist. So it was a very different landscape back then. Um, and I think that's very important to remember. Um, right now, reading, uh, I mean, I've read the, you know, parts of this thing over the years. You're right, it's been going on now for a number of years. But I am under the impression that UBS knew that she was an American citizen. Apparently, she'd used it. I think that's true. All of the, um, it sounded as if uh, from the readings in the affidavits that when she gave her account opening documents, her U.S. passport, was was with it she also included a greek passport which indicated she was born in america 
So I think that they were aware, UBS was certainly aware that she was a U.S. person, but the government seems to be arguing that. Mm -hmm. The government seems to be arguing she signed a document indicating she was not a U.S. citizen and that she didn't have dual citizenship. But uh, the taxpayer says she presented her U.S. and Greek passports to the UBS bankers. Well, she also didn't know what she was signing. Of course. You know, I mean, how, how can anybody know what they're signing with these with these back in the 1990s? Yeah. OK. They did, not read things. they did not read things. And it was a very different landscape. I mean, I've had clients where the parents. Opened accounts for their kids, adult children, and the adult children didn't really realize what this meant. They were like, oh, sign this. Dad, mom and dad asked us to sign this. They're thinking it's about their parents accounts. The parents pass away and the kids are telling me we've inherited these accounts. And when you look at the documentation, you hate to tell them you did not inherit the account. You always own the account from day one. Your parents just used your passport and you didn't have to be present in front of the bank officer back then. Right. So, you know, it's very, very different landscape. You know, somehow this reminds me, I don't want to dwell on it, but this the Toth, this Miss Toth issue that's headed for the Supreme Court. Uh, again, I think in her case, an account was open for her by her father. But OK, so we have a decision uh, very recent uh, last month, August. Is that, is yes. that the decision came yes. down? Yes. OK. Um, it's court in New York, August 10th. All right. Well, that that is a very recent sighting of, of Mr. Fbar. There's no question about that. Now, to dispense with one of the issues first, because I think our discussion would focus on the second. Uh, the case is significant, at least as a reminder that the issue of willfulness is a statement of fact. And we have another instance here of the government not being able to get summary judgment on the willfulness issue, which is a good thing. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yes, very good. And, you know, this, of course, leads me to believe and understand that, uh, you know, the issue of the willfulness is really going to decide the whole thing. And this has to be addressed very, very early on for sure, but we can talk about that separately. Uh, willfulness or anything else doesn't matter uh, if you don't have a financial interest in the account, though. Mm -hmm. And that seems to be the gist of what this decision is about. I'm wondering if you can elaborate on that a bit. Okay, so let's just go back and review it a little bit. The FBAR, as people may remember, is comes into being because of the Bank Secrecy Act. So it's not part of the Internal Revenue Code. It's a completely different law. And the part of the statute of the Bank Secrecy Act doesn't give you much information at all. It's very sparse about what, what does it mean to have to report a foreign financial account? So you really have to go to the FBAR regulations that have been issued and the instructions to understand what does it mean to have you know, a financial interest in, a, in an account or signature authority over an account. The regulations and instructions are basically parroting each other. So if you look at the 
regulations and instructions. It will tell you, and let's focus on what does it mean to have a financial interest in the account? Let's look at that, okay? That's because that's the crux of the issue in this Kakalos case that we want to point out today. So an FBAR is used to report a financial interest in or signature authority over a foreign financial account. And the regulations and instructions spell out what these terms mean. So to have a financial interest in an account, a U.S. person is treated as having a financial interest in a foreign financial account for which the U.S. person is the owner of record or holder of legal title, regardless of whether the account is maintained for the benefit of the U.S. person or for the benefit of another person. So this is like a direct interest in the account. If you are named as the owner of record or you hold legal title to that foreign financial account, full stop, you have a financial interest and it's reportable on FBAR. So would it make sense to call that really? It doesn't matter. It's look at legal title, whose name is on the account. That person has a financial interest under this portion of the definition. So, so that would be really what I would call a deemed ownership, right? It's a deeming provision, isn't it? Yes. Let's call it that. Yeah. So we have the deeming provision. Okay. But that, but you don't have to have the deeming provision. What's the other way to get this? Okay. So you can also have a financial interest in a foreign financial account. If the owner of record holder of legal title is one of the following. So now we're saying you are not the owner of record or the holder of legal title. Someone or something else is, but you are still deemed to have a financial interest. So let's look. The Sorry, Virginia, can you, can you actually repeat that before sure. we go further? Okay. So we, we've established that if your name is on the account, you have, you know, you're the owner of record or holder of legal title. You have a financial interest, full stop. We don't look to anything else, like who is the money really owned by in that account or who are the who owns the shares beneficially. We don't look past owner of record, holder of legal title. You have a financial interest and you need to report it on an FBAR. So that's clear, right? Yes. Okay. There's other ways. Even if you are not the owner of record or holder of legal title, you can still have a financial interest. So now we're gonna look at that. So it says, a US person has a financial interest in a foreign financial account for which the owner of record or holder of legal title is one of the following. An agent, nominee, attorney, or a person acting in some other capacity on behalf of the United States person with respect to the account. Do you got that? I do. So even a lawyer's trust account. Possibly, absolutely. So what we're saying here is, even though you, the U.S. person, are not the owner of record or holder of legal title, if somebody else is holding it, acting in some other capacity on your behalf with respect to the account, you need to report the account. And there are other categories where, for example, if 
um, the corporation owns the account, but the U.S. person owns more than 50% of that corporation, he's also got a financial interest. There are quite a few um, categories, but I believe the one you and I want to focus on is this one that we have read. The U.S. person, uh, the whole owner of record or holder of legal title is an agent, nominee, attorney, or a person acting in some other capacity on behalf of the United States person with respect to the account. I think that sentence there can lead to a lot of issues. And I think Casalo's court, without saying it, looked at that and said, okay, we believe Ms. Capelos had a beneficial interest in this account that was owned by the Hong Kong company. They have clarified or maybe even expanded to a certain extent the definition of what it means to have a financial interest in the account. So they, um, the court said she has a financial interest in this um, account being held by the Hong Kong company. And that was enough for them to say she's the beneficial owner of that financial account, that foreign account. In equity, she's the one who's recognized as the owner of something because use and kind of beneficial title belongs to that person, even though legal title is in someone else. So even though the Hong Kong Corporation owned this account, was the legal title owner, this um, Ms. Kapilos, there were certain factors where they said, you are the beneficial owner. You had directed at some point that funds should be transferred from that account by the Hong Kong company to your own account in Greece, and it was done. You had requested uh, that the monies, certain monies from that account be transferred to a third party on your behalf, and it was done. So they used these incidents to say that she was the beneficial owner of the account. And then they went on to say, if you are beneficial owner of the account, you are considered to have a financial interest in the account. Ownership is not necessary to have a financial interest. So I think this portion of the opinion is very important for a lot of our Americans living abroad, who, for example, are married to non-US people, and the account may be set up completely in the name of the um, foreign spouse. The, the account may strictly be funded with the foreign spouse's earnings, let's say, from, from the foreign spouse's salary, but yet, perhaps, certain times, the U.S. spouse says, oh, I need to send money to my mother for, you know, whatever. And I want to send a wedding gift to my niece. Can you send it for me? You know, simple things that we take for granted as a married couple that you would do. I think this kind of thing can turn into, well, she has a beneficial ownership of that account and needs to report it on an F-bar. So if you were a part of that's where this can go. That's yeah. Can... Yeah. So so 
I mean, if we were to put this uh, really, really simply, uh, would you agree with the following? Uh, if you think for a minute that you can park your money under somebody else's name and escape this, forget it. Would that be accurate? Oh, that's clearly accurate. Okay. But I think, John, it goes further than that. I mean, we have people that will say, you know, for example, hey, I'm going to tell my brother to put it in his name because he's not a U.S. person, but the money's really mine. That's a different kettle of fish there. I think the Kathalos case was not that kind of case. I think this was a very innocent kind of thing that went on with the family back in the 1990s. Maybe they had pooled their money to set up a foundation. The part of the structure um, by the bank's advice was to stick a Hong Kong company in there. And he just used it a few times, sending money from that Hong Kong company's legally titled account to for her personal purposes. And the court is now saying that she's the beneficial owner and had a financial interest in the account. Now, it seems to me that what they are saying going further is that she should have reported the full value of the account, not just, oh, well, you know, my family owns 20% and I own 3%. It's like, okay, all or nothing, she probably should have put the full value of the account on her f bone and the penalty will be based on... If it's willful. If it's, if willful. it's willful, yes, it could be 50%. Of somebody else's money. Yeah, it sounds that way to me. I mean, we'll have to see how the case comes down. If it gets decided, who knows? The parties may settle. We just don't know. But this Kathalos case leaves a lot of um, open questions for us. Well, it certainly does. And I know that it's a case that you've written on, on and off uh, for a number of years. Uh, but, you know, this strikes me as one more example of, of F-bar creep right? Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I don't think that a decade ago uh, you would likely be having this kind of conversation. You know, it seemed to me that it was, it was the definition of financial interest was a lot more restrictive. Or at right. least the way it was Even though the language was the same. The language was the same for what's a financial interest. Um, I don't think people were looking at the one we have quoted here, the owner of record or holder of legal title is one of the following, an agent, nominee, attorney, or a person acting in some other capacity on behalf of the U.S. person with respect to the account. So the example you gave where, oh, you know, you put your brother uh, holds the money in his name in the account. He's a non-U.S. person, but it's really all of your money. That would be clearly like a nominee situation. And I, I think it would be clear that could be covered. But when you have a Kathalos type of case, which is not clear what's gone on, um, different parties involved, some of them completely foreign, maybe there's been a pooling of money. We have an, an entity that we don't really clearly know who, who set it up. It sounded almost like it was the, the father at his, you know, I want to say it his direction, but the bankers recommended this for whatever reasons, and the family just kind of went along with it. That's the way things went down in the 1990s. People didn't ask many questions about, oh, I may have to worry about FACTA if I have a Hong Kong company involved here. So we don't really, 
we can't really appreciate the facts in the same way back in the 90s that we do today. And, oh, that's absolutely right. And I yeah. think, sadly, the IRS is not really taking that into account. Well, they, they, they clearly are not. I mean, what is actually going on here? I mean, do you have any sense of why the IRS is pursuing this so aggressively? I think there's a couple of reasons. The, the tax year in question is 2007. And that was the year that Bradley Birkenfeld blew the whistle on UBS and said that UBS was assisting um, Americans to hide funds offshore in offshore accounts. So 2007 is a big point. And by the way, the accounts and the bankers, et cetera, were at UBS. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, it's just sadly a happenstance that 2007 and UBS were part of this deal. And I think that's a big reason the IRS is not letting it go. Interestingly, both in Toth and that uh, Sheik case, uh, which have been in the news recently, those were also FBAR penalties uh, for the 2007 year, uh, I believe, with a with a UBS association. Well, there you go. Yeah. So, okay. you know, that's, that's interesting. You know, as we bring this to an end for today, this has been great. Uh, I'd like to just read uh, Section 5314 of the Bank Secrecy Act. And then I want to ask you as I'm reading this, as my closing question for today, would any rational person imagine the statute could lead to this? Uh, you know, I mean, here's where what it is, right? Considering the need to avoid impeding or controlling the export or import of monetary instruments and the need to avoid burdening unreasonably a person making a transaction with a foreign financial agency, the Secretary of the Treasury shall require a resident or citizen of the United States or a person in and doing business in the United States to keep records, file reports, or keep records and file reports when the resident, citizen, or person makes a transaction or maintains a relation for any person with a foreign financial agency. I mean, would you read that and, and automatically leap to the, the situations where this is arising today? No, 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 you wouldn't. But, you know, the regulations seem to clarify it a bit more, which are, are the regulations are what I've been reading to you. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. They, they clarify it a bit more, but still, even there, I mean, that, that sentence, the owner of record or holder of legal title is an agent, nominee, attorney, or a person acting in some other capacity on behalf of the United States person with respect to the account. I mean, that can be very, very broadly interpreted. And that's what we're seeing is happening today. Well, final question for you. On November 2nd, uh, different case, Bittner is being argued in the Supreme Court of the United States on the question of whether they can issue a per account or per form penalty. Any idea how that'll go? This is for the non-willful. Uh, that's correct. So assuming, assume, the question they're dealing with is assuming a non a civil non-willful FR penalty. This is 5321A5. Mm -hmm. Is the government within its rights to impose a per account penalty $10,000 times the number of accounts 
or are they restricted to $10,000 for the failure to file the FBAR form? Well, I would like to say, you know, gee, I wish I could come down with its per form um, because that's what kind of makes more sense to me on the one hand. But on the other hand, I can understand the government wanting it, of course, to be per account as a real disincentive for people to screw up on the F form. You know, if if they could have 20 accounts and say, well, you know what, if I'm non-willful, it's only 10,000 bucks, who cares? Um, right. The government loses a lot of what it perceives to be very important information for its purposes. So I don't know how it's going to come down, John. I really don't. I know you have your thoughts on it. And, you know, I've been reading them with great interest, but I think we're just going to have to wait and see. I think we are going to have to wait and see. Well, Virginia, this has been fantastic, and I really appreciate your keeping up with the travels of Mr. Afbar and these these sightings from time to time. Uh, you know, you're doing fantastic work in this area, and I thank you again for joining me today for this podcast. Well, you're welcome, John, and I'm going to do a blog post on this so people can find my U.S. tax blog. I have a whole category for FBAR. I have lots of very interesting categories in the blog, expatriation, Americans abroad, non-U.S. spouses. I mean, all of the stuff that you and I deal with regularly. So I would encourage people to check out the blog. It's at www.us-tax.org. That's O-R-G. And have a look-see. It's a great blog, and I highly recommend it to all. Thank you very much, Virginia. You're welcome. Have a good one.